you say is your favorite type of dice and not just like the d6 or the d4 but like do you like dice with inclusions do you like casino dice do you like metal dice what do you guys think i like um epoxy precision dice what are those ones so precision dice are usually made like as as a D like thing where they're supposed to be equal on all sides and balanced and all made of one material um it's kind of what i switched to for like D and stuff they're like sharp edge dice um that are supposed to be cast in a certain way uh that's my favorite kind of dice those are the old school D dice from back in the early 80s where you had to have a crayon to put the, the uh the numbers in <laughs> really yeah you had to rub rub a crayon on them to get into the into the number grooves and then wipe it wipe off the excess because so <laughs> all the old like your D beginner box set came with a dice a set of dice and a crayon to put the numbers in that's so cool i didn't even know that was a part of history yeah <laughs> i was there g Three thousand years ago, <laughs> I think of the I think of the the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe thing. Like, <laughs> don't lecture me on the old magics. I was there with the <laughs> No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of like, you know, call me basic, but I like the ones you get from like Frontline Gaming. The the sort of small, but not quite Chessex thirty six set small. You get like twelve oh. in a pack. Like the yeah. ones we have, yeah. uh, the squad game style ones. The uh, 16 millimeter standard. Yeah, those are nice. Like they, they have a good, like you can hear it here. They have a good little sound um, <laughs> yeah. and they're fun and to roll. The reason why I don't like Chessex is because they're the way they're polished. I'm just not a big fan of of uh, tumble tumble polishing. So I think that they, th- those are also tumble polished, but they have a sharper edge. So I like the sharper edge. Yeah, they definitely do. I like the dice from uh, Baron of Dice out here Ooh. in Maryland. Uh, I like his uh, square edge dice because I'm a definite dice goblin. Uh, I buy all the faction dice for any faction I have. So I have probably thousands of dice. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I use some of uh, Baron of Dice stuff, and I, I think it's fun, too. Um, they, he has like a matte dice, too. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are interesting. I yeah, the one, he, did, that. he did the ones for Kill Team Open. Yes. The matte black dice. Yeah, they were really pretty. Yeah. You don't get to see a lot of um, matte matte dice. You no, know? you don't. No. It's we're we're a, we're a very gloss and shine kind of community. See, the best thing about dice is that they're very much <sighs> personable. Well, personable and like how you're feeling, right? Like if dice are like betraying you, you might want to switch to like the dice that have never failed you. You know what I mean? Like even though they're statistically going to roll the same. Um but it's the feeling. It's the feeling, you know. It's very, very emotional. So, Janice, you just must have thousands of D and D dice too, right? <laughs> uh, it's mostly D sixes. I mostly do it for my Warhammer dice, but mm. I do have a lot of various D and D dice as well. So, Games Workshop has always been a D six company. All yeah. their games have been D sixes. Uh, hence, hence why I have thousands of 
<laughs> six siders around here <laughs> since I've been in the hobby for since the 80s. <laughs> so like near the, right at the beginning. Yeah, I, I got in uh, in 88 is when I purchased the uh, Rogue Trader book. That, that is a, that is definitely a time to get into that. I mean, hey, you know, they were they were doing the print. The yeah, they book, did the reprint. And, yeah, recently. the reprint. I think my friend bought one. So that's cool. Yeah, looking at my shelf here, I have three copies of the old Rogue Trader. My original copy, hardback copy that I bought at a used store, and somebody gave me a copy of the reprint. I still have a shrink wrap from a couple years ago. Oh. That's pretty rad. And my hardback is signed by Rick Priestley. Wow. Look <laughs> at you over there. Yeah. <laughs> Can you get that graded? Do people want that graded? I don't think I don't so. know. I should, probably should. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we have a very fun topic for y'all. Yeah. It involves tournaments. Yay, tournaments. Yeah, tournaments. <laughs> um and it's something that us as TOs and players, I think, would benefit a lot from. It's something we may not always think about, but it comes up probably at every event you go to. Um, so we're going to get into that, and that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a little uh, controversial, probably. A little controversial. You're absolutely yeah. right. I think the, the subject is controversial tournament stuff. Bum, so bum, descriptive. Bum. So descriptive. I mean, hey, that's the right that's the right description. I would consider that descriptive. And I apologize for any hurt feelings in advance. <laughs> I hope that everyone learns from it. Uh, yeah. You may get offended in this podcast, and that's okay. You don't have to agree with us. We might change your mind. And you might jump on the, the our Discord and let us know how wrong we actually are. And yes. you may change our minds. And you may change our minds, absolutely. Yeah, I'm open-minded. I'm not against uh, hearing a better perspective. Absolutely. Being closed-minded is is always a bad thing to be in a leadership position. So let's make sure that we're all open-minded. So uh, do you guys want to start off with proxy models since we've been getting a lot of questions about teams for LVO? Yeah, sure. I'm a fan of proxies. So uh, we'll, there, there's a little guide picture that Giacomo found, and he'll post it in the Squad Games chat once again. <laughs> but um, the way that we look at proxies or alternatives is that there is uh, certain varying levels of, of acceptableness, right? So like the main rule that you have to follow for these kinds of models, especially in a large tournament scene, or going to Games Workshop. Games Workshop has their own set of things. There's, they don't really allow very much 3D printed stuff unless if you sculpted it yourself, so on and so forth. They have like a bunch of extra rules from outside. Like we're, we're, we're 3D people. I am. I like 3D stuff. So we don't poop on that. But we want to make sure that we don't ever add cognitive load to our opponents. And we want to make sure that we're staying faithful to the team. Is there anything that's like a like a super basic that you can say, G or Janice, to these to, to just like the most basic premise before we dive in? In terms of proxies, right? Yep. Well, I feel like if you're gonna play a space marine of whether heretic or loyal, it should probably be a space marine. That's that's at least the first thing. Have the space marine armor. 
you can have whatever head or whatever weapon you want, I guess, but it should at least be a space marine. Yeah, it should be at least something in power armor. Yeah, you know, like if you're going to have an orc, it should probably be an orc of some sort. You know, that's that's the easy one to be first. And uh, if it's if it's related, you know, because there's things that are in the same faction that are very close looking, but you could make work like I could totally see commandos, but then just using like the savage orcs or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that could work, you know? All right. They're they're relatively the same. And then it comes down to can you make the model represent what it is? Like if it's a recon guy or the comms boy, can you put the little backpack with a thing to be like, oh, okay, that's an antenna. That guy's the comms. Easy. I can figure that out just by looking at it, right? Mm-hmm. If you can do that and your opponent knows what it is each time right away, you're doing a great job with your conversions, proxies, or can you know, whatever you're using. That's yes. my two cents. Do you have anything to add, Janice? There's I have a lot to say on this subject. <laughs> uh the things that I have to say on it, uh like I said, if it's a if you're trying to do a space marine, it should be somebody in power armor, same profile, same height, uh or taller than uh because I know in a lot of ways in tournaments even if it's like modeled slightly shorter, that can be considered modeling for advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. So if <laughs> the way I look at it is if the model is causes you a disadvantage, you're probably fine. <laughs> yeah. As so, long as long, as long as it's in the same category, like yeah. uh, using a uh, trader Marine and saying they're intercession, as long as they're the same height and your opponent knows beforehand, what, what, uh, faction you're actually playing, there shouldn't be any confusion. Like, say, the, like right now, there's not a World Eaters uh, kill team, and if somebody puts together their World Eaters and it's like, nope, they're Assault Intercessors, but I'm playing them as World Eaters, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Shout mm-hmm. out to Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas did that at uh, SoCal Open. And oh, I didn't know didn't, that. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. He literally, <laughs> he ran oh, cool. just, he ran all corn berserkers and then um didn't take a gunner he just ran at them and tried to murder everything and he either won really hard or lost very hard it was very entertaining i i know that full well with playing (laughs) my uh my flesh terrors (laughs) he he went he went rapid uh duelist duelist, right yeah Yeah. he just went that's what you do janice (laughs) no i i do i do uh uh duelist and aggressive Oh, that's okay. another good one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was very entertaining. And the fact that he also never took the grenade launcher. Um, all of his models looked pretty much the same other than his one guy with uh, with the plasma, you know? So, like, yeah. it was very acceptable for what he was trying to do, even though the models were definitely um, an alternative, right? Because... Right. When we look when we look at the models, I'm going to look at this graph, right? We have alternative models, which can be anything from 3D printed. They can be um, a casted from another source. They could be a completely different model, but they're all WYSIWYG, right? So WYSIWYG right. is what you see is what you get. So they have um, the correct weapons. So one of my favorite WYSIWYG conversions that I've that I that I've seen is um, a guy from Bats, Miguel. Miguel does these beautiful, beautiful um, 
Navy breachers. He came to the AVTT last year and took our, our critical feedback and went home, reprinted his models, chopped off all the 3D arms, and then attached the actual Navy breacher arms and weapons. On top okay. of that, on the bases, he also has their names. So like, it's it's way easier to say like, hey, this model's this person because I have the name of this model glued to the base. <laughs> yeah. yeah this, this is my Armager, right? This is my cat, you know? So right, like, right. if you have a... If you have a uh, um, an acrylic ring that goes around the base indicating that this is my comms, this is this, this is that, right? As TOs, we are much more likely to approve those. So there's a few there's a few other things that I'll touch on after that. But then you have like models that are obviously converted. So they have sculpting, they have this, they have that, and but they're still WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. You have the right weapons. You have the right options. That's the thing that we're looking for before anything else. The th- then you start and, getting and into more say, dangerous territory. Go for it. Uh-huh. No, can I, uh, when talking about conversions is just be sure you are of a similar profile and the same height or higher. Correct. Yes. Because Games Workshop as well, you know, they don't stop you from putting cork on your base. So you can make models right. taller. Right. So like you can make them an eighth of an inch taller. Like it's not a really big deal. Like the thing is when people start, you know, manage uh, getting shorter models, you know, if all of your team are Frodo from WRTL, we might have a problem. <laughs> that model's sick. Well, I do. Way. I do want to uh, mention something with uh, yes. Kill Team Justinian. Bring the okay. sexy back. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> the... Justine, I think everyone on our Discord was telling us it's Justine, yeah. like a stain. Justine, Justinian, Dance. Just Timberlake. <laughs> yeah, Justine uh, Timberlake. But but that <laughs> uh, group, the model of the uh, infiltrator or infiltrator, the guy with the sniper rifle. Uh huh. The eliminator. I can't remember. He is standing now in the box of models that you can buy from Games Workshop. They have a few that are kneeling. So if people were running Kill Team Justine, they need to use the t- standing model, not the kneeling one. You oh, think shoot. so? I'm, do- I'm doing some illegal stuff. I, I've been taking the spot I, I believe so, because that's the official model for that Kill Team. And if you're using mm. the kneeling one, he's significantly shorter than the, ta- the, the, the official model. I could see that. I never really thought about that model in particular, just because... Yeah. Because I was looking at my models I could use for for that kill team, and I'm like, oh, here's my sniper rifle guy. Oh, crap, he's the kneeling guy, not the standing guy. Just put him on a tree trunk, G. He'll be fine. You could do that, just as long as he's the same, just as long as he's the same height as the official model for the team. Yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna use the sniper sergeant. So like he's already standing yeah. up. So like there we go. Yeah. I guess I guess that's the same as um using the pathfinders, the rail guns that lay down. Oh, so yeah. When, yeah. when they originally, gee, you've seen mine. Mm-hmm. When, when they originally came out, you could get rail rifles that were laying down in the sniper position. Yep. And even though they're still official GW models, they have like an, an oval base and tech technically, I guess they're allowed because they are mm-hmm. just GW models. It'd still be considered modeling for advantage, right? Yeah. Like you could just like lay behind something entirely and not be seen. So, yeah. Cause I have a bunch of the old uh, Games Workshop uh, Imperial Guard snipers that are the guys that are laying on the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as long as your models are a faithful representation and you're not trying to confuse anyone and no one is confused by saying like, hey, I see that model. I get it. I understand. Or if you can convince somebody then and they understand, then cool, right? Yeah. So you you get to the dangerous areas when you start using count as models for yes. full proxies, right? So let's see here. A a proxy is just like, hey, I'm going to use this model for this model. Now, these models are very unlikely unless if they have a lot of heavy conversions so that they at least look like the other team or they still have the same WYSIWYG. Uh, there, there, there's a few, there's a few teams that have been, uh, donated or to us last year, we had a cataphracty terminator team, uh, say like, Hey, this, I, I feel like this one's, we've had a couple of these ones. Uh, here's a couple cataphracty terminators, uh, from, you know, Horus heresy. Would these be okay for intercession? And I brought this up to G and he said, no. G, do you want to tell them why you said no? Yes. Well, first off, the way they were explaining it was these guys are the assault ones and these ones are the not. Um, The weapons themselves are just a little too off where someone who doesn't know, let's say they're just playing kill team, they don't know 30K at all, Mm -hmm. would be like, what's what? Yeah. Like, what's a cataphracty Terminator? Yeah. Um, They're also larger, so they're bigger than the the scale of an intercession. Um, There was just enough things that were a little off that might make it hard for your opponent. So it wasn't necessarily because I don't want you to use those models, but you also want to think about the people you're playing against and you want to have them still be able to understand it. Like we mentioned, you know, less cognitive load. They can see what that is. They know exactly what it is. So ultimately it was why it's just not something that I can approve. Yeah. So like, then you also get to somebody who recently um, asked for, these basic, these normal orc boys and mech boys to be uh, the hierotech. And we unfortunately had to say no, because, you know, ultimately they are just purely, purely a proxy, right? Um, And like, you can't, there's no way to say like, hey, this guy has a gauze cannon. I mean, you just can't, right? Right. Um, It was very, it was a very difficult sell. Meanwhile, we have people like Emmanuel um, from Strategic Advantage and Southern Discomfort that if you go check out his Instagram, um, uh, eman.paints, I believe it is. He has some wonderful conversions for different kill teams that he's converted from orcs. You also have Ray Yeti from uh, this year's BAO. We had him on the podcast. He had an amazing savage orc i think there were there were some kind of aos orc that he converted into the kinban and this year he's working on something else um so that we approved for lvo also orc wise so like even though they are definitely a count as proxy uh they still have a WYSIWYG element to them where they're all still using the correct weapons the correct the correct gear and they make sense. They right. narratively make sense, right? It's not like you're saying like, um, you're not saying a space marine. I mean, a, a an imperial guardsman is a space marine, or a Kasserkin is a um, 
is an intercession, right? So like there are certain things and certain elements that you want to try to stay faithful to the teams. Yeah. Like uh, the one that I had been working on, but kind of stopped since the team is kind of in a bad place is for extraction. I was going to, I was kept bashing up my Necromunda enforcers to be, Ah. to be my cops and making sure they, they all have the same type of weapons and everything. But that project stalled out when they seem unplayable. (laughs) (laughs) They they are decently unplayable. Well, I mean, they're still like a B tier team. It's just other teams just, Hey, you know what they're great in inquisition inquisition. Yeah. You know, inquisition lacks a viable Uh, leader. Moving on. <laughs> Couldn't help take a jab. Yeah, he has to take that jab. Yeah, every time. I'm like Dolph Lundgren in the ring against Apollo Creed. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so is there anything else you guys want to touch on um, these proxy things? They're, they're, they're going to be, most things are probably going to be fine in a local RTT or in your normal pickup game. But when you go to a place like LVO, you go to Nova, you go to New York Open, you go to the LSO, any FLG event, any kind of like something that's going to have more than 32 players, maybe even 24 players, you definitely need to make sure that what you're playing, because I even run alternative models. All of my models for VetGuard are from hardcore miniatures, right? Except I I do have a couple uh, Katachan models, but they're not the actual VetGuard, right? Because I don't like Krieg very much, right? Um, yeah, the only thing, uh, and this is just something that I do. If I'm going to be using something that is a uh, alternate model or something that could be something that I feel that could be a point of contention at an event, I'll I'll bring at least a unpainted model of the correct model and say, well, if you're worried about this being a potential advantage here. I have the actual model that I can stand in mm-hmm. in place of that yeah. for this game. Well, that, that, that's a really good tip. Um, I use that a lot for movement when I want to move my mind layer or I want to move like a contentious model. I'll, I'll pick up a dead model or I'll take a model that I'm not using or oh. a completely unpainted model, put them in the place and be like, Hey, do I have vision here? Yes, cool. Now let's swap out the models, right? No, yeah. okay. Let me move them this way a little bit. It's very, it's a very useful strategy, as yeah, well. But, yeah, but I'll ha- try to have every model that is kind of the official model from the team in my in my case, just in case somebody doesn't like my. For me, it comes down to using a lot of old school, like Rogue Trader era minis, where the mini might be slightly shorter because they are metal. Metal and from <laughs> 30 years ago and scale yeah. creep is a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We no longer play a 25 mil game. This is easily a 28.5 easily. Yeah, easily. easily. Yeah. So the other thing I want to say is that each scene. So if like you're listening to us and you're from coming from the UK, right. Or you're coming from Australia. I have no idea how they deal with this with in Australia. I haven't talked to bands about it. Um, you know, or in Spain, I know that the UK, because I've spoken uh, in depth with John Reese, can you roll a crit? That typically, if you're going to have a model, you you can never get your model for advantage or disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's both, right? So, like, typically, you'll always bring 
a model of the same. So you have like an unpainted team and then you'll have your converted team. And then when something happens, you swap those. Um, To me, I think that slows the game down. And at our events, what we typically do is if, if we have approved a model, you play with the model as is. We had some some controversies with this last year because we didn't have this rule set set in stone for LVO. And, you know, like I made a ruling that, you know, uh, favored um, the, London, the London scene and like I think even Games Workshop's perspective on the same thing. Like, you you know, you, you swap at, in and out the models. But since I already like approved the models, it was a feels bad. Mm-hmm. So like from hit from, from there on out, like we went back, we reassessed. And I think that it's kind of like, if I've seen the model and G has seen the model and we accept the model, then it's played as is. And I think that is probably the best way to go about it for tournament organizers so that it doesn't, um, it doesn't slow the game down, but also like, then it lies on the TO. So ultimately what that means is that now it's a little bit harder to get your, 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 your alternative models approved, uh, because we have to uphold a certain standard of what we think is viable and what's not viable for the community at these, especially at these larger events. But, um, I, I feel like it stifles a hobby just a tad, but. I think that it it it, uh, it upholds the competitive integrity um, to do that kind of a way because I think I think I don't think that saying like hey we approve the model let it ride let's let it ride right yeah like a Denver Bronco player sorry mm-hmm. I'm not a I'm not a Broncos fan I will I will <laughs> remain silent on that let them cry uh, let's go Raiders um, <clears throat> um, they suck too, but that's okay. <laughs> they suck so bad, and it's amazing. I love watching them lose. Okay, even though they're my favorite team. All right, moving on. Um, so I think that there's a lot of great things that we can take from the hobby side of things. And the thing that we always want to make sure is that we don't make it hard for our opponents because it's already hard enough to remember your rules and do them correctly. Right. So let's make sure that everyone's having a good time. Everyone feels heard and, uh, and happy at a tournament, you know? Agreed. Yeah. 100%. So the next one we're going to move on to is probably the most controversial thing of all. I see countless talks on command points, discord, on Glass Half Dead's Discord, on the YouTubes, everything about this one specific subject. And that's time clocks. So scary, time clocks. So before we move on to this subject, um, G, do you want to tell the community about your experience with time clocks? I'll tell mine and Janice, you can tell yours. Okay. Before we dive into anything. Um. I'll tell you my experience with time clocks is that the leap R, uh, what the hell is this thing called? The leap something. I think it's called leap. The clock I'm holding in my hand, you can hear the buttons. Yes. Used to cost like $7 or something. And then it shot up in price because everyone who played 40K was buying them because yep. they're cheap. <laughs> um, and they're super easy to use. Look, I click the button, I click start. All right, that's it. You know, and it's not my turn. Mm-hmm. I hit the button. 
Um, I think they're awesome when it comes to staying organized for like near the top. You got two hours, so everyone has their 60 minutes to use, which is perfectly fine. Um, you know, and at that level, maybe, you know, like a good example was the, um, what was the GW tournament that everyone went to? And they had like four hours. It's like a big old one. I can't remember what it's called right now. But the GW uh, the grand narrative, I believe, Wait, is was what that it's what it was? called. Yes, yeah. but I think that people want us to call it something else. Maybe we should refer to it as the U.S. Open Invitational Finals. Okay, it's a lot That's- more uh, of a of, of a uh, of a of a word. What U.S. Invitational Finals? USIF. Yusif. Yusif. There we go. Yusif. Yeah, go. Yusif. So the Yusif. <laughs> gave you four hours, and uh, I would assume that each player probably had two hours, though they probably didn't use chess clocks. They I think I think this year's were they're looking at three hour rounds, I believe, which is fine too. You know, like you got three hours to play the game. I think it's more than enough. Realistically, I think an hour a player is more than enough. Uh, on average, these games take about two, two and a half. And mm-hmm. when you're at that higher level, you you know your team, you know what your opponents are probably using. So you have some of those things that would slow you down. Like if I had to open up a book or open up Wahapedia and I have to look something up, that's kind of removed, you know, because you're at the, the that level of play. You sort of remember most of that. Sure, hey, it's going to happen, but you know. Janice, can people use Wahapedia at GW events or do they have to use the books? I can't really answer that question because I've, okay. I've actually seen people use uh, apps and Wahapedia at the GW event. Okay. But if I'm going to an event that's being run by Games Workshop, I'm going to have the book with me. <laughs> I think that's the safe thing to do. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you're but going, make sure you bring the book. All right. It's as easy as that. So that's that's my thoughts on time clocks. They keep things organized near the top. They're not super hard to use, but I'll give you a con since I'm giving you the pros. People do forget to click it. And that is a legit thing people do when they play games. They practice with a chess clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you that. Have you have you played uh, 40k with them? Many times. And how 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 was your what was your experience with with that? Um, I remembered to click my clock. That's good. And um, you know, my opponent was there too to always remind me in case I forget. In the when I first started playing with chess clocks, mm-hmm. my opponent was like, "Hey, you know, it's uh, it's my turn now. Make sure to click your button." They were was nice it, enough to tell me. Yeah, that, like, was, so that way I'm not burning my time. Was it stressful for you? No, I I also don't play at that level where mm-hmm. it was like I knew I was going in. I was probably well, going to win around. Yeah, I was. You're not I was playing gonna, Tyranids, <laughs> right? I, I wasn't worried about like all the movements and stuff. I kind of generally knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't too bad for me. It did add another thing. I just had to remember to be like, oh, yep, end of turn, click the button, and mm-hmm. you get used to it. You get used to it pretty fast. Yeah. How about you, Janice? So I just want to something that came into my head while G was discussing that the price went up on on the time clocks. I'm just imagining this is just how my brain works. <laughs> imagining this little little company. I know they're mass produced kind of things, but I'm thinking like some little old man making these <laughs> by hand and sending them out to the people that actually play chess. <laughs> competitively <laughs> and it's like a couple of months and then all of a sudden a thousand orders come in from 40k players <laughs> and he has no idea what 40k is so that's just kind of my head canon right now <laughs> that's, that's hilarious i'm gonna i'm gonna believe that <laughs> but anyway chess clocks uh i have become kind of a fan of of chess clocks since my 
introduction to them. Uh, my first real time using a chess clock in, and it actually mattering was this year at Nova, my opponent. Uh, he's like, hey, uh, no offense, but I'm putting everybody on a chess clock that I'm playing. And I'm like, okay, I'm a fast player anyway. It's not really a big deal. And we started playing and I used it and I really enjoyed having it there to see my time and making sure my opponent isn't uh, chewing up my time uh, mm-hmm. in this. So I felt it was a, a good thing and I actually may start using them more and more in the games that I play against people. I think that's a, I think it's a good habit. Um, so my experience is uh, the very first time I was ever introduced to time clocks, I was just getting back into 40 K and I was very, uh, nervous about this team tournament. And Alex Squires, who was our team captain was like, everyone has to play in a time clock. And I was like, is that a thing now? And he's like, yeah, I was like, oh gosh. So I started playing it and, uh, it made me better because it made me faster. And I think like the worst experiences I've ever had with a time clock is me timing out because I was too slow. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, once you've done that a couple times, you learn to play faster, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because when you're, when you time out and when you reach zero on the clock, right? Uh, you're no longer to do, you're no longer allowed to do activations. Like you're allowed to fight. You're allowed to um, roll defense dice or saves um, in 40 K it would be saves, but you're no longer allowed to move models. Like you've used up all of your allotted time, which is fair, right? Yeah, it's like the only thing you're able to do is defensive type actions. Correct. So um, in, in kill team, there is a few differences because it's, you know, more alternating people are going back and forth, but people can do it for chess. People can do it for guilty, right? We recently did SoCal open and we enforced the time clock, uh, quite heavily on top table and everyone who's never used it before thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Jason who won, he even got down to one second left one second. That was rough. Like that I was, was, I was worried wild. he was going out and he just barely made it. And the favorite, his thing, he, what he said was, I, what I loved most about time clocks is that I could sit there for 10 minutes on my time to make a move and not be stressed out that any, that it was taking up my opponent's time. Yeah. Alexander Popov said that he really enjoyed it and he proved to himself that he was not slow, right? Like his first turning point is slow, but after that, he said that he really sped up, right? Uh, Kellen played, uh, played vet guard on it. No one timed out. We got pretty close a couple of times, but no one actually timed out. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's also because G you were there helping, making sure people were tapping the clocks because some of them were new, making sure that the time was, was running correctly, but there is like time clock etiquette, time clock uh, abuse. And we'll talk about those and make sure that if you are practicing for an event, I would always suggest to practice on a time clock because when you practice on a time clock, you're training yourself to be fast, to go within your own time, to make sure that when you go to these tournaments, you know that you're not the problem, even if you don't use it. Because there's been too many times, too many people I've talked to saying like, oh, I've played against a slow player here. This guy slow played me this. This has happened here. And yeah, I I also have that like once, right? For kill team. But the thing is, is like, that's on me. Like I should be asking for a time clock sooner. I should be asking for a TO sooner. Like maybe it was also because I was also slow, you know, like 
take response. I take responsibility for playing slow before, right? Since then, I don't think I've gone to time. I think that we've there's been a couple times where games have gone long, but that's good. That's okay. That happens to everyone, right? Um, even even Chris Bakke, he'll know what I'm talking about. Um, he's gonna murder me later for that. Uh, <laughs> I love you, Chris. <laughs> um, so. I think that like some things that are really important is that when you're using the time clock to always tap it to your opponent and then to remind your opponent to tap it back to you yeah, or to make sure it's not on theirs because there's something called weaponizing the clock when you tap the clock and somebody else and then you don't remind your opponent to do the same. You should only be moving your models when the time clock is running on your half right? Another thing that people have been doing is like, usually people take dice rolls and they roll and they figure things out. If you're, if your opponent, and it's always on one side, you don't tap it back and forth for people to, to roll dice and kill team. But the thing is, is if somebody's going to take an enormous amount of time to figure out what they want to block, tap it to them. Yeah. There's nothing saying you can't do it. It's just like, just don't be a dick about it. Don't do it every single time and make it ticky tacky, but just make sure that like, be like, you know, just be like, hey, bud, you're taking a little long. Tap it. Okay. Then they're going to be like, oh, it's on my time. And then they're going to go faster or they can take their time and think about it. Right. Yeah. But and that's, like, that's only in the only time that would really come up is in a, in a melee attack situation where somebody's like, wait, let me math this out to see yes. what's my best. Yes. And that's okay. That's okay to take your time and figure out what it is. Just make sure it's not on your opponent's time. In fact, if you're going to take some extra time to figure it out, you should tap the clock to yourself to be sportsman wise and make sure that you are giving your time, your opponent the amount of time and not, and not abusing the clock by saying, Hey, you know, this is on your time. We've already agreed that this, I'm going to take my time and figure it out. No, don't do that. Right. I'll come over and I'll give you a sportsmanship flag. If, if I find out that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, another, another problem, which I've done this before and I didn't realize it was a problem until I I had to sit down and make rules for this, but taking actions in parallel of your opponent, right? This kind of goes back to, you should never touch a model when it's not your turn, like plain and simple, right? Right. But if you are making a move in parallel with your opponent to keep the time clock low on your side, that is an infraction. Right. Make sure that the time is running on your on your side to make sure that you're doing the same thing. Same thing with deployment. Right. If the if your opponent is deploying, not looking at the clock, you also deploy, he taps it to you, you tap it back. No, don't do that. Like take your make make sure that each person's using it correctly, right? Um, and just do it fast. Right. If you know where you're gonna place them, just place them on your time. Noticing an inappropriately running clock and failing to announce it. That's another one. Yep. Be like, hey, bud, this was running on your time. I don't know how long it was running on your time. Let's add like 30 seconds to mine and we'll just run it on mine for an extra 30, right? Yeah, it's easy, Wep- easy enough to do. Weaponizing the clock to win or gain an advantage is not the key. Wep- uh, the clock, the, 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 the point of a time clock is to make sure that everyone is playing their best game in a reasonable amount of time because people say like, oh, I don't want to be timed. Well, it's a two-hour round. You're you are being timed, right? Let me let me put something out there. That's that's a question that I know some people are going to have at tournaments. 
What if somebody has to go to the bathroom on a time clock? Do you pause it? Does it Hell take up no. their time? Yeah, it takes up their time. The okay, only I just want- the only time that you should be pausing a clock is if a TO has to, or during like um, possibly during like rolling the initiative. Right. Right. Because right. you can't have it on someone's time for rolling the initiative, right? And then you then you start it back up. Yes, on the okay. person who won. Correct. I just I just wanted to see what people's thoughts on uh, potty breaks were. <laughs> I think potty breaks are kind of the biggest faux pas. That's kind of like I always hear drama from other events that somebody went and you went to the bathroom for 20, 30 minutes. I get it. It happens, right? Like maybe you had some. Everybody Popeye's hates. chicken the <laughs> night before, right? Um, and you gotta go, you gotta go take care of business. But in the end, like you shouldn't. Usually, I give everyone a a five five to ten minute grace period, uh, and I'd be like, "Hey, start a clock. If it gets to this amount of time, keep the clock." And here's a, everyone is like, "Oh, we don't have a time clock. I don't have a time clock. There, there's not a time clock." Well, there's this thing. It's called the Apple Store or the, the Google play store. Uh, and you can download one. It's free. It's, it's free. free. So I think people saying that they don't have a time clock is a bunch of malarkey. Um, cause everyone can, can have one, right? Especially if you just leave one in your room on accident. So, um, what about, what, what is more about these, uh, each person is responsible for their own time. Uh, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about? Uh, time clocks. This one, I wish we had a listener to ask and be like, Hey, what about this? No, I think we hit pretty much everything. At least in my opinion, I think we've hit everything. Yeah, I about think time we, clocks. we at least hit all the high points on, on time clocks. Uh, what about, what about the detriments? What, what, what do people argue that it's not inclusive? The only thing that I think people would argue about time clocks are is the stress around it, because we are in a hobby that does attract people with with autism and Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe some some anxiety issues. Uh, So that's really the only thing is people that that may say, hey, this is going to cause me a lot of a lot of anxiety or or what have you. But uh, seeing once, once you start using them, I most everybody is going to have have that kind of melt away. I believe. I agree. I once I started using a time clock, it was very simple. Like I don't think I've actually used a time clock in any 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 actual kill team game, but I've trained on one. I've used it for forty k. I know how they function. I don't mm-hmm. get stressed out about it. Um, but there are some people that I know of in, uh, in the kill team community that I would, I would play, I would use a time clock against, Yeah, you know, um, just because like they've, they, they, maybe they've struggled in the past with, um, you know, making certain decisions. So like quickly, so, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it, anytime that you pay a, a hundreds of dollars to go to an event. You don't want to shortchange yourself and you don't want to shortchange your opponent. Right? Right. So and you don't want anyone to walk away from the event feeling feeling poorly. And if you're you're the type of person that might be a slow player and not know it, you're going to gain a bad reputation as being a slow player. Agreed. Very much. And 
in these kind of hobbies, your reputation as player goes a long way for kind of goodwill among the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I do want to say on time clocks as well is the kill team is growing. Uh, it's becoming more and more competitive. Uh, the events are growing in size. It's going to be the standard probably at some point that you're on a time clock. Yeah. Except for Games Workshop tournaments. Games Workshop yes. Games Workshop doesn't want people to play with time clocks specifically because Games Workshop doesn't make time clocks and possibly because people in the upper echelons don't like time clocks for various reasons, right? But as a com- as a competitive standard and as a community, we can come together and uh and push forward time clocks or say no to time clocks, right? Um, at our events, we allow players if they choose to use the time clock if they want. And both parties have to abide by if somebody wants to use it, then, then they're allowed to. Now, right? what Games, Games Workshop should do is make a servo skull time clock. That would be sick. <laughs> With its eyes being the, the your time. Or or it like or it has a projection of the time clock, you know, oh, like a yeah. little red one. Yeah, that would be sick. <laughs> Games Workshop. Yeah, you free talk to me. <laughs> free money, free money, free ideas. Pardon so me, and then they would start requiring time clocks at their events. <laughs> Absolutely, they would. Um, all right. So moving on to another controversial subject is types of dice, the types of dice that you use. So. Let's get the the horse out of the room. Janice, did you find that article from Warhammer Community by chance? Unfortunately, I didn't. I looked, and the only article I found was one they printed later that was kind of a a humorous one about if you use your dice for your faction, you're going to be doing better. Not the one that said, our dice are better. Yeah. So uh, a year and a half ago, Games Workshop's Warhammer Community came out with an article saying, use our dice, our dice are better. Right? Um, this was in May of last of 2022, I believe, or it was very close to May. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think when a company objectively comes out and whether it was satirical or not comes out and says, use our dice, they're better. Um, and, 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 and it's not an April fool's thing. It was, yeah. this was not an April fool's gag. It was like I said, after, like Dakota said, after, after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that there's some, some objective problems with not only the, the way that that's being communicated to the, the public and <laughs> the, the, the definition of it. And now here's the thing. If everyone is using busted games, workshop dice at their tournaments, then it's all fair. Right. Yeah. If you if you suspect that someone has dice that are not fair, the easiest way to mitigate the, mitigate that is just to use their dice. Yeah, yeah, that's an easy one. It's a very easy one. Stop using your dice and use their dice. Both <laughs> players can use the same set of dice. Statistically, they'll roll the exact same. If somebody has a dice that they won't let you roll. There's a problem outside of being like (laughs) superstitious. Like if they won't let you roll it, then you can say like, Hey, I I respectively ask you not to use that dice. And if not, if they decline, call a TO. (laughs) Call a TO and a TO can then salt water test it or take any appropriate actions from there. 
or tell them that they're not allowed to use those dice in general and give them a different set of dice. And then if they call a bathroom break, go check the toilet to make sure they didn't try to flush them. (laughs) (laughs) That did happen in 40K recently. Yes, it did. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And he's an Eldar player too. Uh, And and there's a photo online of the dice in the toilet. (laughs) There's a video of it, them flushing the toilet. And them not going down because they had lead in them. It's fucking amazing. (laughs) So dice are very interesting. You should never use a dice that's hard to read. I have these Imperial Fist dice made by Games Workshop that you cannot read. (laughs) (laughs) They're a fist with lightning bolts. And however many lightning bolts are on that side of the fist is the the number. And it's very difficult to read. Um, I think... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, no, go ahead, Dakota. There's objectively bad dice made by Games Workshop. The pestilent games, um, the Nurgle one, the Nurgle ones that the have death, the, the Death Guard dice, the yeah. Death Guard dice that oh, have all the God. bubbles in them and stuff. Those actually roll five and sixes more often because they're weighted. Not intentionally; it's just the way that they were created. They're actually weighted so that they're lighter on the five and six side. So they actually roll better for death cards, yeah, <laughs> death guard saves. They are just the death guard dice. Cause I have three sets of them sitting on my shelf in their box <laughs> because I'm a huge death guard fan. They're cool and, looking. Oh, they're awesome looking, but they're, I will not use them because they are so skewed when you try to roll. What about the squig bouncy dice? Those are awesome too. Yeah, the squig dice that came out for Gloom Spike Gits were awesome, but they're so hard to read because you got to read them by their pimples or something. Mm-hmm. So and the six is all teeth. The Spanish, yeah. the Spanish uh, MRQ three, I believe mm-hmm. MRQ three. That team gives out dice that are pipped in weird ways, and they're very difficult to read. They're not a normal pipped dice. Um, you are wouldn't want to. Are they the weird, crazy pips that yeah. are like, yeah, I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to get some of those just because they would drive some of my OCD friends crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you should never use those in a tournament because they're like, people can look at your dice and be like five, six, four, three. Cool. Okay. Hit it twice. Right. But if you're looking at those dice, you're like, what the fuck am I looking at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Game, games workshop for quite a while had been producing dice as very thematic, but they are so hard to read. The There were some Zinch dice that came out that when I was playing 40K in at the end of 8th edition, he was using those. And I'm just like, dude, I cannot read those at all. Because it's the chaos symbol, and then there's like some little thing that you have to look at to, to see that it's actually the number. It's just, it was a nightmare. And I have bad eyes to begin with. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's... It's pretty difficult with a lot of dice. Sometimes like I have these dice that I make that on the one, they say they are engraved with the word fuck, right? And yes. people people have been like, oh, you rolled a six. And I'll be like, no, that's a one because you want to yell out fuck every time you roll it, right? <laughs> so like when you have dice that are different and they don't have the symbol on the six side you have you you need to let your opponents know so they don't automatically think of other things right can i can i interject here with another absolutely games workshop ism Mm -hmm. uh for a while they were producing dice that had a skull on once up for the one or the Uh, six i'm not sure which i have some of these 
and like the chapter symbol or something on the other side. And it's like, which is the, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I've been in tournaments where people had done the, Oh no, that's a six when it's actually a one. And then the, the chapter symbol comes up and they're like, Oh no, that's the six. And it's mm-hmm. like, which is a buddy. Hey, I'm looking at a set of blood angels dice that I have here where the blood angel symbol is a six and a skull is the, is the one. Yeah. Another, another dice that I find unfair are pure metal dice that have pips drilled out. Um, when you do that, you're objectively removing quite a lot of weight from the five and six side compared to the one, right? So if a, if a metal dice is painted or backfilled with other, another metal or another material, uh, or you have a gemstone dice that has pips removed, Mm -hmm. um, objectively, those are going to be lighter on those sides. And maybe that's why they roll well for you. Right. Uh, those dice should also not be used at a tournament. Um, I have, I have a set of metal dice that are made out of aircraft aluminum. Ooh. It's, I know they're, they're perfectly weighted because the company that I bought them from at, uh, I forget what the name of it was, but it was when I was living in Salt Lake city, there was a big four, there was a 40 K tournament and this company was there. It was a local company to Salt Lake that made them. And they had one of the precision balance uh, spinny things that uh, the casino shoes. Yeah. And yeah, you could test and check, test the balance there to make sure they were perfectly balanced. But yeah, they were super precise, but I'll never take them to a tournament because unless I buy one of those $70 devices, I can't uh, dice testers. I can't say, no, these are perfectly balanced. (laughs) Yeah. See, I would trust you, Janice, but I don't know if I would trust somebody that I don't know telling me the same story. Right. It's the same thing with uh, like you. There's a reason why you bring the the books to Games Workshops tournaments. Just yeah. bring just bring a set of dice that everyone can read um, quickly and uh, isn't uh, isn't crazy, and you should be fine. You should. Uh, yeah. And if somebody has an issue with the dice, let's say you have an issue, because for instance, me. Uh, there are certain colors of dice that I cannot see very well. Certain silvers and reds together or greens and silvers or greens and reds make it specifically difficult for me to read. And I'll ask a player to roll different dice just because I am colorblind. It's not their fault that they chose these awesome dice. I think they're shitty dice because I can't see them. Right. <laughs> they, they, people love these dice. Right. Um, but like for, you know, like, Sometimes like if I can't say like, I can't tell if that's a five or a three or, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like I think it's viable for you to ask your opponent as well. Um, like, Hey, like, can we please use different dice? Cause I can't read them. Fair. Yeah. Cool beans. Yeah. Uh, I know it, there's been talk of this, that of kind of a, Oh, I wish we would, uh, at some tournaments, uh, not yours, Dakota. You, do, I know you haven't talked to me about this, uh, but saying that wouldn't it be nice if part of your entry fee was you get a block of ten dice, and these are the dice you use for the tournament. That way, that everybody's sick. using everybody's using the exact same run of dice that that are branded for that tournament, whatever. So people like uh, Baron of Dice or Dakota would be able to make some extra extra cash on on making dice but uh that way nobody can say oh my dice were bad or 
his dice were better. They might be suspect. You're just all using the exact same dice. Yeah, I think that would be a really fun and cool thing to throw in at a tournament for sure. Yeah, but I know there would be people that, because people are superstitious about their dice. They are. Uh, that would be upset by saying, oh, I know I can't use my dice. Yeah, but then you just don't go to that tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only problem is that sometimes the tournament costs. This is one that we don't have written down that I want to talk about. And uh-huh. it's kind of like the increasing costs of tournaments. Um, increasing costs of tournaments is controversial. Uh, but like with inflation, uh, things have to increase because yeah. they're just not like we see it with FLG. We've seen it with ours. We've seen it probably in your own local scenes. Tournaments not costing the ten or fifteen dollars anymore, right? Now, whether that's because like uh, the the store needs more, or you know the you know the organizers are finding that they're not making any profit off of these, or so on and so forth, or at least they're not able to pay themselves back for the time and effort that they've uh, put in. You know, uh, I think that. Those things are something that everyone should keep in mind is that as long as we are in an unstable economy, I think that, uh, you know, that is always going to continue to happen. Hopefully, hopefully we, we start to mellow out here pretty soon. Um, moving on to the next one, who wants to talk about this? Start it up. I will. Okay. This one, this one's pretty easy. Um, you know, you're you're going out in public with a lot of people and you're in close proximity. It doesn't hurt to just remember we have noses. You can you can yeah. you can take a shower, you can put on some deodorant, you can brush our brush teeth. The teeth. And if you know, if maybe you ate something for lunch and it's a little stinky, all right, well gum is there, mints are there. Lifesavers. <laughs> Lifesavers are there. Um it doesn't happen so much, but it does happen at least once at each event. It happens enough. It happens enough that this is a thing, and not or just a not deodorant. just a yeah, not just a kill team. You got them at every kind of event. I played all sorts of competitive games, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not just a, a Warhammer thing. Being a veteran of many RPG cons and things like that, it's it's a thing. And there's the opposite side of things of people that like bathe in Axe body spray at, at events. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not clean. It's just smelly. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it wasn't a kill team player at LVO, but I was walking around the vendor area and wow, it was, they loved their Axe. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it does become a little bit more difficult because of COVID Maybe they had COVID recently. They can't spell themselves. Right. But just be cognizant and aware of those things whenever you go to a tournament, just to be like, hey, did I shower? Did I make sure I put deodorant on? Do I need to stop at Walgreens and get deodorant? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I forgot it at home, so on and so forth. And and we are in a close proximity uh, where people can smell your breath and everything because you're talking close and typically loud because it's in a big event hall where people are a lot of people talking. So I always carry either cough drops or, or something and pop one before each game. 
mm-hmm. just to be sure that I'm a little bit on the fresh side. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, another thing that we should talk about is toxic sportsmanship and angle shooting. G, do you want to lead off on this one too? I also want to lead off on this one too. There's nothing worse than being somebody who's brand new to a game brought in by somebody new, uh, sorry, by somebody who's already been playing just so that that new, that old player can get an easy win. Mm-hmm. And it's the worst when it's at tournaments when, you know, you, we've already mentioned you're paying a certain amount to go to this event. You don't really have a lot of time to play the game. So maybe this is like the weekend day, you know, uh, the kids are being taken care of and I'm able to take time off to go do this or my busy schedule allows me to take this day and you just get rocked by all these players who are taking advantage of you because you're new and Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel good at all. Absolutely. Um, I think that like, gee, I think you said it was social engineering. That is correct. So a way that, uh, more experienced players kind of can tell other players what to do to quote unquote score max points and do these kinds of things to ensure that that player is still winning and helping the other person out, I find an issue, right? Like sure. Being helpful is great. Helpful is awesome. And usually it leads to good times, but not, not always, right? There is another side of that same, that same, that same story, right? Um, Janice, have you ever played somebody who was a toxin, toxic sportsmanship or that has done any kind of angle shooting against you? I've I've played against uh, a few people that have done some things I would ref- I'd consider uh, consider that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things that I don't really appreciate is when there is coaching from from somebody when you're when they're playing we should never have coaching ever no you should never you should never have that because that is very very bad (laughs) because there's been a few that i was at where i'm playing where i was playing and somebody would that might be done with their game would come up and tap their opponent on the shoulder and pull them aside and do some whisper whisper Mm -hmm. and then look at the board and whisper whisper so you know they're kind of telling them something that they could possibly do, which is re- which is serious bad form. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So, so that's something to to do. And then you have the people that are that are a little suspect with the trying to be to be super nice and uh, and doing things that you can tell they're trying to set something up or kind of do some razzle dazzle to, to conceal some, some other, other shady moves they might be doing. Mm -hmm. Reminding me of a recent YouTube video. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There could be some of that, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, the kind of not bait and switch, but razzle dazzle would be kind of the better, the better term for it. Yeah. Kind kind of obfuscating certain movements or telling a player they're going to be doing something while they're doing something with another, their other hand, right. To obfuscate something else. Um, angle shooting is like the act of, uh, using underhanded or unfair methods to take advantage of inexperienced opponents. All right. 
And um, angle shooting and cheating is is very similar, but angle shooting is not considered uh, cheating. Just it doesn't breach that realm, but it's pretty close. So but for it instance, is definite, it is definite bad form. Oh yeah, it's 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 definitely horrible sportsmanship, right? So like anything that you can do to gain an advantage, you're going to do. So you would. So for instance, you would improperly lose a, use a clock. You would. Uh, you would uh, see that you're going to win, so you start slowing down on turning point three when technically three and four are the faster turning points. Um, you would do stuff like, hey, you would tell somebody like, hey, what is a um, what is the barricade one again? Okay, okay, and then you play the one that defeats the one that defeats the barricade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So like there are like underhanded ways of manipulating opponents that you should just stay away from, like just play a clean and honest game. And I feel that a lot of this episode has probably been more negative towards these things, but it is a controversial episode where we have to talk about some of these harder things that we've experienced or seen in the tournament scene. These are not everything that we've talked about today so far is not is not the norm for tournaments right but they exist and they have happened right so remember that when you go into a tournament 95% of your the people that you're going to play are going to be amazing right you might get one guy who or or woman who's like not your favorite person to play and you would prefer not to play them again just because maybe it's just, you know, the way you play the game. That's going to be normal. That happens in life. You're going to meet people that you just objectively don't like, right? And you're, and you're going to, you're, you're going to, everybody has a bad day. Are you going to meet yes. that player when they're having a bad day? <laughs> yes, exactly. Did they just realize that they are out of top contention and this was very important for them? Like all sorts of stuff, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm not innocent in that realm. I've had some matches where I've been very salty and uh, I apologize to my opponents in, in those, those games. But I mean, it happens. Somebody can just be having a bad day. It does happen. It does happen. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of things that, you know, we can also look at, you know, sometimes like you might just have a bad game. Like one time, like my worst form of sportsmanship was probably recently was at a game that um, a tournament that I won best sportsmanship at. It was at KTO, right? And mm-hmm. uh, there was a player next to me and we were nuts to butts at that tournament. Everyone was right next to each other. It was a, a COVID happy zone, right? Um, and I we didn't were, hear of anybody getting COVID after that event. Yeah, no one, not, not, to my event knowledge, no one did. Um, but like their dice tray was on our, was on my, uh, was on my, my side of the mat. And I broached it very abruptly and be like, Hey man, could you not have this on my map? You could put it, put it on yours. And you know, it's, the way I broached it was very abrupt and I feel rude. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't really like get that better because <laughs> I had to sit next to them the whole time. <laughs> um, 
you know, and it also doesn't help that person. I don't think liked me in the first place, but that's okay. <laughs> Not everyone has to like me either. Right. You either love me or you hate me. It's one of the two. Right. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next point. <laughs> Stopping players from calling TOs. This is a big one. I consider this one very, very highly. I have seen one too many times people stopping other players from calling a TO. If you have a rules question, we are TOs, tournament organizers, judges are there to make sure the game is run correctly and smoothly. If you don't think that a rule is being used correctly, it is not a big deal to call a TO. If your opponent is telling you not to call a TO, that is a red flag. Or saying like, no, I'm a veteran. I know this rule. Mm -hmm. I know this. This is a part of toxic sportsmanship, right? If somebody is so confident in every single rule and you just don't agree with them, like my wife runs into this a lot because she's a woman and people will over explain things or talk to her this way and say, no, I know the rule. And she's like, I don't think that you do. Can you I've, pull out your book? I've encountered this myself. <laughs> yes. Sorry that this happened. Yeah. So like. And if that person is like, no, we don't need a TO. No, we don't need a TO. And then when they're like, oh, I'm going to call a TO anyways. And they're like, no, we'll just run it your way. It's fine. If it's that big of a deal to you, we'll run it your way. Right? Like, then why would you arguing in the first place? Like, that's a red flag for how the rest of the game is going to go. Um, because, like, somebody might know, like, how conceal is done. Maybe you mm -hmm. don't understand the rule as much as them. Call a TO over. We're fine. That's what we're there for. Yeah. If you don't There's call us, we're bored. <laughs> we're not doing anything, well, right? From, from the player side on this, there just seems to be a stigma about calling a TO over. And calling a TO isn't a bad thing, which people just don't seem to get. It's like, do I need to bring the principal over? It's like, no, it's not. You're not tattling on somebody. You're just asking for a clarification. That's what, that's what Dakota and any TO is there for. Yep. Absolutely. I think, I think that's, that's a hard thing for some people to wrap their heads around. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something that needs to be in your thought process. Um, for sure. And there for, for newer players, when you are playing against somebody that's, that's a tournament, uh, a tournament veteran, people that are, are known in the community, if you have a, if you're questioning something, still bring a TO over. Be, just because they're somebody that's well regarded in the community doesn't mean they're not getting something wrong. Exactly. I think this is something that I can speak to quite heavily. There's been people in the scene before that have been these experts, and it turns out that they were misplaying many many rules and getting away with it because of their ego, because of their personality and because of things that they have had in the past, whether it be YouTube, Instagram, tournament wins, first places, doesn't matter, Patreons. Some players get things wrong. And sometimes they use their famedom or their, their perceived famed, famedom in order to push through things that are not correct. And I can know I know this because I have seen it. I have dealt with it as a TO. And those have all been rectified to my knowledge 
currently. This is something that is very important for new players to remember and think of as well, is that just because you're playing somebody doesn't, they're all human. They're always, some people are going to get some things wrong. Yeah. Maybe they didn't sleep the night before, right? Make sure you can call it to you over, over and make sure that you feel comfortable doing that. We are there to make sure that everyone has a good time. We want everyone to keep coming to these tournaments, right? We never, ever want somebody to ever feel like they can't come to one of us and and talk to us. Or if they've had a bad experience, come and tell us. Because the only way that we will know if somebody's going to be a problem or is a problem in the community is if people tell us. There's been too many times where people don't say anything for six or seven months. And you're like, oh, okay, now people are coming out of the woodwork and saying that this person has been a problem, right? Um, it's not a tattletale. We're just all trying to make and live in this game and be as as, as objective and fun as possible, right? And, and kind of a positive of calling a TO over is that interaction is going to stick with you for a little bit longer than if someone just tells you a rule. Uh, so you actually, it's actually a learning uh, thing. I remember more things about about rules that I may have gotten wrong because of a TO interaction. Yeah. And sometimes those things are like, wow, or even the TO doesn't know, right? Yeah. And you're like, you're like, all right, well, we'll play it like this. I'm going to go figure it out and I'll come back and let you guys know the actual ruling. But right now, just play it this way. Okay. Yeah. Because the example, uh, one, uh, I'll give two examples, one that happened to me and one that happened to some other people that I know. For me, it was uh, knowing about when stun wears off versus in the turning point that uh, we had a conversation. It's like, oh, wait, doesn't it end at the end of the turn or does it end on their next activation? When does it end? And we we didn't know. And so we had a TO come over and they're like, well, I don't know either. I need to look this up. Mm-hmm. So we figured it out after that. <laughs> well, what was the answer, Janice? The answer is uh, anytime it's at the end of the the person's turn, th- their next activation, it Correct. wears off like any other uh, minus to APL mm-hmm. or plus to APL. Yeah. The one that came up, uh, I think, I think, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Nick probably mentioned it on here was at Nova this year, the uh, fuselage roll. Oh, yeah. With uh, the heavy bolter and the interaction with uh, the, uh, not savior protocol, but protect your leader kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I honestly didn't, wouldn't have known fuselage could be used that way. And I would have called a T over as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a weird interaction. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, I think, with Savior, Save the Leader, if nothing hit the other guy, then he used it to retarget the leader, right? Yeah, because Fusilade, you just you move it from whoever's the target, mm-hmm. not just the target takes everything. Yeah, which is fascinating. So, like, these small rules and these things usually come up at a tournament, and that's kind of like the TO's kind of main thought, too, of like, hey, I learned this, this, and this. Because we're not infallible evil. We we we've 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 got rules wrong before. We've played things wrong before. Um, it's just as much of a learning experience for the, some of these really complicated rules for the TO as it is the players. Because the 
the TO is going to know the majority of rules. They're not going to know everything because we have what, like 37 teams, 30, 39 teams with the two new, with uh, the Blades of Kane and the Scouts coming out soon, mm-hmm. hopefully. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping those rumors are not true. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Well, we've mentioned it. We might as well say it real quick. The rumor that Valrak and then Glass Half Dead echoed was that the the next box set isn't going to be coming out until January uh, because of whatever reason. Uh, people are saying shipping delays. Uh, my initial thought process of hearing that is like, well, Games Workshop has already made a gross profit this year that they've had to pay out a bunch of people. Maybe they're delaying some stuff. Maybe it's a little bit of everything. Who knows? Uh, Dakota's opinions are his own on this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, we're, we're, it's going to be exciting. I hope, I hope we get them next week. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be dope. I'm hoping to see them sooner, but I really hope it's not going to be delayed until January because that's going to be over six months without any kill team. Yeah, I, I have a, if it, because G, we'll have to talk about this in our LVO episode. Yeah. If, if they're not out until like mid January, are we going to allow them at, at LVO, right? Like, are we going to break our two week rule to allow these two teams? It's going to be interesting. I think that I'd be willing to take it down to one week for these specific, specific two teams. Uh, I do think it depends on the rules though. If they come out and they're like previous Felgor, we may just be like, nah, nah, I mean, we'll keep it at two weeks. Like I could, I could see us doing the one week, you know, just because like people already technically own these models. Like you could yes. use the other scouts. You could use all the metal, uh, Eldar. Yes. So like I could see it, but we'll make that decision when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Ho- hopefully you guys won't have to make that decision. But yeah. anyway, before we got off on the topic of rumors and speculation. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll move to um, commission painting, winning the best painted without letting the staff know or giving credit to commission painters. Or so... I believe this is just kind of a scummy tactic to win a best painted thing, to be honest. Gee, you have the biggest uh, thought process on this. So why don't you, why don't you lead us, homie? Yes, just to give you a little bit of um, reasoning as to why I feel this way. The hobby is the most important thing for me. It is the thing I can control. It is the thing I practice. And I know it's a thing a lot of people like to do. In their spare time, they practice, they get better, they think of really cool themes. And when you go to a tournament just to get it like, you you enter, you're putting all this effort into making a display board into a team. You spent the last three months putting it together or something. You know, you kept it in secret. You didn't want anybody to know about it. And you're going to reveal it to to make like a big old splash. Uh, Only for it to lose out to like a super mega professional because someone else had more money. Like that just that man, someone took a shit in your heart. Like it just feels bad. Agreed. And there's nothing, nothing worse than people who would abuse that. Um, you know, it's fine to have a commission painted army. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't believe you should be using someone else's work to win without 
properly mentioning who it is or, you know, just or telling, if that person is also there. At yeah. That like, tournament. you know, you could tell them that was the guy who painted it, you know, so they probably should be one getting the credit or you could be nice enough to tell the people who are judging. I didn't do this. This is the person or just know that I paid for this. You know, it was mm-hmm. not out of my work. And that's, that's always scummy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's something to be aware of and make sure that, you know, like commission painted teams are dope. They're cool. They're awesome. We're not saying, we're not saying to not do that. It's just like, Hey, just make sure you let the organizers know if something is commission painted. Right. Yeah. Especially when it's going to, especially when there's prize support on the line for, for the best painted thing. Absolutely. Um, there's not a lot to talk about outside of that for this, for these, uh, yeah. And well, just talking about commission, uh-huh. I mean, just kind of my own personal take on commission painting. This is, these are my own thoughts. Don't take this. Anyone that does order, does things to get, or pays people to paint their models for them. I am happier with myself when I'm playing a team that I painted, that I put my time in, did the work. It might not be the best painting in the world, but you know what? I did this. These are my miniatures. They're not someone else's miniatures that I'm playing with. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how I feel about things that I, that have been, that I use that might've been painted by somebody else. Yeah. It's funny. I actually, so when I was five, when I was, I think 10, when I started playing the game, the avatar of Kane was my favorite model. Right. And I didn't know why I couldn't paint red very well, right? This old little metal stempy model that you could throw at somebody and probably get a murder charge for. Um, <laughs> he's, he's not as bad as the, uh, the old uh, dreadnoughts. No, he's not. Um, <laughs> my son recently got my old metal dreadnought and ripped off his leg. I was like, how did you do that? That's, that's, some <laughs> strong, that's a strong child you got there. <laughs> yeah, he's a big boy. Um, so like... I actually was uncomfortable enough that I wanted this model to be like the best painted thing that I had. He charged me like 40 bucks back in the day. He painted it. Mm-hmm. I look at it now and it's, it's not good. <laughs> right. But back then it was the standout piece to my team and my army. And I've since repainted pieces of him because mm-hmm. I real I didn't know I was colorblind when I was repainting the red. I was like, this red is, doesn't look right. So I repainted it just... <laughs> one shade of red. Um, I was like, I like this red better. Cool. I have no idea if the other red was better or not, but like, you know, when that's, uh, I could get a whole colorblind tangent of why I, the avatar cane is so cool, but he's so hard for me to paint. Um, (laughs) so hard. Um, and I think that like, I, I've, I, I commission paint teams, right? G Mm -hmm. commission paints. It's not a bad thing to get your team's commission, especially if you're like, I just want something to pretty to look at. I want something pretty to play on the table. I don't have the time to do this. It's completely fine to do. Oh, yeah. And I get it with people that they want to play the game. They don't want to do the hobby side of it. Yes. I, some people hate I, the hobby. I hate putting models. Someone, not me, but somebody who like, I hate painting models. I hate putting together models. I hate basing models. Someone else do it for me. I just want to play the game. Hey, yeah. more power, more power to you, but don't yeah. try to take, don't try to take credit for that other guy's work. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So moving on to, uh, our last three things. Ooh. Um, dun, dun, dun. 
Let's move on to tape measures. This was pretty controversial for a while. Uh, a lot of people were using them. It seems as as over the, the this game has evolved, tape measures seem to be a lot less used. Um, there are some players out there who still use tape measures, but uh, I found the majority of people have been using the actual tools of the game. Maybe it's because I give a lot of free tools out at our tournaments. Um, but I find that the, the use of tape measures has gone down. I know that other organizers from other areas and other um, countries have reached out to me and asking like, Hey, we've had issues with people using tape measures. Should we ban them? I reached out to people that I know and trust and asked them the same thing when I was having problems with tape measures. And the overall consensus was no. It's way too... I think it's way too much to come out and say you should not be using a tape measure. Tape measures are probably the easiest form of measuring something out, especially like a difficult charge. But the problem is so you have to account for bases. You have to account mm-hmm. for these things. But it's also not the tournament organizer's responsibility to police your opponents. You, as a player, should be doing that. Being like, hey, make sure I see you using a tape measure. Please be aware that you need to measure in one-inch increments around obje- around terrain and all that kind of stuff. Clearing bases. Um. <clears throat> I think it's actually harder for players who use tape measures because it's a lot harder to get an accurate representation of this of this form of the game in general. Um, what about you, Janice? Do you think we should ban tape measures? I don't think they should be banned because I'm, I go both ways on using tape measure and, and measuring tool. Uh, I rarely use tape measure, but for certain things I will, I will break it out and use it, especially when I'm doing something that has extra, like an extra inch of movement because it's hard. I don't have three arms. I can't do the, <laughs> the, uh, have three measuring gauges out to do that. So I'll, you know, there's these the new measure. <laughs> there's these new base steppers. Um, I've heard about them <laughs> that, uh, that, that I make, uh, from Luster's workshop. Uh, Kenny Roller Crit get, did a shout out on one of his videos and his podcast for us. So that was very nice of you, uh, John. Thank you. Um, but yeah, we make them and they're quite useful, but uh, you don't have to have multiple or you don't have to be a gene stealer to use those, Janice. I'll send you, I'll send you some uh, when I custom make you uh, a tray. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think it should be banned, but uh, I de- in Kill Team, I definitely see the use for tape measures going down drastically. Yeah, uh, I think that tape measures have been abused a lot in the past. And I think that it is something that every TO should look at. Players who are using tape measures, just just make sure that they are measuring correctly. Yeah. Because you have to do it from well above the models. You're going to hit terrain if you don't. You know, they're three inches in the back usually. Yeah. You know, so you got to make sure that players are using them correctly. Um, You're inviting... You're inviting watching eyes when you use tape measures. My, the one negative thing I have to say about tape measures is I've seen terrain go flying way too often when someone retracts it. Yes. Uh, or models going flying. 
Yeah. Same with they do the rolling snapping. on the table. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with rolling on tables. Yeah. But I'm a I'm gonna just go back to start using the old 18 inch red stick that games work. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. the whipping stick. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a, yeah, as a kid just making the noise. <laughs> My first one I got I chewed on a lot. Oh, I yeah? wish I still had it though, because those things from third edition were sick. I have so many of those red sticks around my my place. We'll trade. We'll trade because yeah. they came with everything back then. They came with all the all the new sets. Uh, any of the box games all had the red sticks. Yeah, I th- I also like the clear ones that they've come out with Games Workshop. The Mylar oh, okay. ones that are that are printed. Oh yeah, yeah, those ones are also pretty nice. Um. What about cocked dice? So I think it's, it's, I think that players, if you're not using a dice tray should always talk about what is a cocked dice? Cause there is like a specific definition of what a cocked dice is. And then there's also things that you can agree at, at the table. Right. Um, so like, do you agree that anything that's not flat, is considered a cock dice, so you always re-roll it no matter what the, the, the thing is. Uh, do you always like roll in a dice tray and if nothing, the only dice that count are inside the dice tray? Are you rolling on the dice mat? Because that used to, I mean, on the, in the battlefield, that used to be a really big thing in, uh, when we started playing 40k way back in the day. Yeah, that was more. That's more of a forty k thing. Yeah, rolling dice on the terrain. Uh, the problem is, is that when you start doing that, people can hide dice behind terrain. They can hide yes. dice. It's a problem. Um, or the actual definition of a cocked dice, to to my knowledge, is if you roll a dice and it's cocked, where you can't place another dice of the same type on top, and it stay, then it's you know if it stays, it's not cocked. If it rolls off, it's cocked and you could re-roll it. Yeah. Um, the stack test. Yeah, the stack test. So um, what? how do you roll dice, Janice, at, at tournaments? Okay, so before every game, I have my di- my purple dice tray out with the Pop Goes the Monkey logo in it. That I, It's a sticker I put in. Everyone asks me, where'd you get the Pop Goes the Monkey dice tray? It's like, no, it's <laughs> I was not. about to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> to my knowledge, he doesn't make it. It's just a sticker that I put down on the top of the, the vinyl in the, <laughs> on the, uh, on my dice tray. Uh, I always say, here's how I roll dice. If it pops out of the tray, it's a dead die. If it's even slightly cocked, I re-roll it. So mm-hmm. even if it's, on a corner, and I could stack another die on it, I re-roll it even if it's slightly cocked. Uh, just to get that out there, that there's no questions about what's a cocked die. Yeah. That I say everything has to land flat in the bottom of the tray. And if a dice happens to land on top of another dice, I re-roll the dice that was on top. It's always impressive when that happens. Yeah, yeah those ones are weird. I was just playing 40k yesterday, and that happened a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> It's because we don't have the space to roll. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, G? What do you do? Um, I like to generally designate a space that we're going to be rolling in. I prefer to have one if we can. So like a staging area or use a box. Mm -hmm. Um, That way, you know, like, okay, we know where it lands. That's the official spot. If it falls out, cool, roll it again. And if it's cocked in the corner or something, all right, you can usually tell or you do the stack test like we mentioned, re-roll that dice, you know, and make sure your opponent sees it before you pick it up. Like they go, that's a cocked dice, yeah. right? Cool. All right. I'm going to re-roll this. 
it's as easy as that. Communication is usually an answer to a lot of these problems. Yeah, and I've had so many uh, opponents say, oh, thank you for letting for doing that. I'll do the same thing. Yes. So yeah, we're putting that for each other. Yeah, putting that out there, a lot of people that I've encountered with it are 100% like, okay, cool. We got that. We got that out of the way. It's not going to be an issue if there is something. <laughs> people love rules. People will add rules. <laughs> I, I have my own dice tray that we sell at events that I use. So that's typically what I roll in. And if anything comes out, I, it doesn't count. I offer it to my opponents. Sometimes they have their own dice trays. Sometimes they take it. Uh, you know, I always tell them how I'm going to roll. And then usually they respond to how they like to roll. And then, yeah. you know, you know, that's just how we all roll. Yeah, um, that's how we roll. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, let me cook. Let me cook. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Anthony. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, sorry, if you, sorry if you, younger community. <laughs> if, you, if you put that out there saying how you're going to do it, either people will tell you, abide by what you've said or they'll tell you how they roll. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to two others, uh, things, uh, one of which is slow play. Now, Janice, have you ever been felt like you were slow played at a tournament? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've, uh, malicious slow play once, unintentional slow play a few times. Uh, there is one particular time where it was at a tournament. We, it was an open-ended time. They didn't give us any hard time limits, and it was a custodies on custodies match that went two and a half hours. Oh my lord! Was it all, <laughs> was it like eight custodies? Yes, it was eight custodies on the table. Wow! So you guys had a total. What's eight times four? Thirty-two actions. Thirty-two activations took two and a half hours. Okay. Yeah. Let's- uh, my whole activation time in that event was probably thirty minutes. Mm. I'll just say. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so 2.5 times 60. Yes, I don't want to do math. Divided by fi- uh, 32 equals seven. <laughs> four and a half minutes per activation. <clears throat> That's impressive. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Uh, on average. And then you said how much how much time did you think you took up? <clears throat> Probably about a half hour. Mm. of that time for everything mm. that I did. Mm. That's exciting. So 16 to, so let's just see here. 16 uh 120 divided by 60 uh, 16 activations, seven and a half minutes per activation. That's a long time. Yeah. A long time. Uh it's almost yeah, that's <laughs> it's, just, it's a little bit ridiculous. So yeah. Janice, in the future, now that we've talked about time clocks, you feel com- more comfortable with time clocks and you feel comfortable calling TOs. Yes. In the, if, if this per th- this thing happened again, when would you call a TO or how would you deal with this this problem if it sprung up once again? If this I mean this game is a serious edge case, but Given how that game was going, if it was in a at a large tournament now, I would have called a TO over midway through turning point one saying, hey, we have a problem here. So about how long? Because at SoCal Open, we there, there there's an issue with certain, I think, unintentional slow play. Um, 
players were taking about some, some players were on multiple occasions taking 40 minutes to set up or 30 minutes to set up or 45 or 50 minutes, which is almost half of your game length. Yeah. You should only take 10 minutes to explain your team, both players and deploy maybe 15 minutes, max 20, 20 minutes, max to explain who your team is, what they do and fully deploy before you start round one. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of beyond the pale in my, my opinion. I mean, if it's taking that long to deploy, I, I would have probably been salty and talked to a TO about dude. <laughs> yeah. It takes about, I think like at Nova, there was an hour and 15 minute deployment phase for one game. Yeah. It's absurd. Absolutely absurd. I know it was a commandos mirror match, but it, you know, I, and I get being meticulous, but you're all, you're really biting into your opponents, your opponent's time. If you're not on a time clock, here's where time clocks is going to, going to be, be, uh, I help think will help minimize this kind of behavior. Whenever you're looking at, Oh, I'm only have 15 minutes of play time. And my opponent has 45, 40 minutes still. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, you can objectively see if you are a problem, if you have mm-hmm. been a problem, right? You can say, like, oh, wow, I do need to speed up my play. Yeah, because then you're then you're looking at the time clock going, oh, I only have 15 minutes of play time. <laughs> yeah. I feel that if... If I got a 30-minute warning or uh, if deployment took 40 minutes, I'd be like, hey, man, this took way too long. Uh, I have to start a time clock uh, to ensure that we both get the same amount of activations. And would it suck for me playing Vet Guard compared to somebody else, like if they were playing like Legionary? Yeah. But at that point in time, you know, like how long would you take in order to call a TO? Like, I know that you said halfway through turning point one, but if they took 40 minutes to deploy, Janice, you're looking at... If they're now in 20 minutes gone by, if they're calling out, I mean, typically what LVO was an hour and a half rounds. No, they're two hour rounds. They I were think two hour rounds. Yeah. And I mean, if we're still in deployment, when the one hour left comes around, that's a definite automatic we need, time we, clock. We need to, we need to do something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, half hour. I mean, I might say something to the, to the other players saying, Hey dude, you're taking a lot of time here, but I wouldn't call a TO over at that point. I mean, with recent things and how, how some people have been at events, I'm not calling out any names. I mean, if you know, you know, (laughs) uh, but certain people I, I would definitely be putting on a clock or having, having a little less, uh, patience with, (laughs) I think, I think that's another good thing for newer players to know is to have like an objective standard of like, Hey, this is actually taking too long. So like, whether it's yourself or whether it's your opponent, you can be like, Hey, bud, like this is actually like wrong and we need to like correct it and speed up because like, ultimately like this is a tournament. We want to make sure that we're both getting a fair shot at what is going to happen during the yeah, if, if you're not rolling dice within 45 minutes of the round start, something's wrong. Yeah, something's very wrong. And then if you get like, if you're in the middle of turning point one, or if you end in the turning point two, I've seen a lot of people end turning point two in yeah. two hours. That is also like, not great. Yeah, and that 
that hurts. Even if you win that game as the slow player, or whoever wins that game is going to be at a disadvantage in yeah, you, the in the standings. You won eight points to four points. Yeah, you know, because with a lot of events going off of uh, strength of schedule at this point, yeah, your strength of schedule is going to tank, and you're going to be out of contention. So, yeah. slow play is not is not a good thing. <laughs> That's another reason why I have issues with slow play. Your fate is not in your own hands, but we won't get yeah. to that. That's a T.O. gripe. Uh, moving on to, do you guys have any, well, I should ask G. G, do you have any instances of slow play? I don't, but I have this story. Okay. That's been told from someone I know. A person who is, is a semi, can, can sort of see through their eyes. They're notoriously known to slow play. But when you introduce a time clock, suddenly they know exactly how to do it with their limited vision. Mm-hmm. That's all I can really say. Yeah. You're talking and, about uh, me, Archie G. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and so that was, that was a fun thing to, to hear about and to, to actually see. You know, you get to, you get to notice it. So it's just, um, you see examples of it. I, I, I've been fortunate enough to not have to play with slow players. Um, You're also very fast, Giacomo. I am. Yeah, if James Robinson <laughs> you and make, I are playing, we're done in 30 minutes. You guys make decisions. And Gee, you and, I need to, you and I need to play then to see how, if we can get like speed hammer in here. A 20, a 25 minute game. Ball yeah, playing intercession. Uh, cool. Deploy. What I do forward shoot. He uh, didn't die. All right. Next turn. Let's go. <laughs> I'm sure we could hammer out a game within 30 minutes. Oh, easy. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Um, so old- maybe at a, maybe at LVO between, between games, we can get a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe actually that'd be pretty fun. Let's have a show match on Thursday. Let's get the stream set up early. Hey, I'm, d- I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> All right. Speed, speed kill team. How many games can we get in this amount of time? <laughs> Um, yeah. So let's move on to types of terrain at events. I see. I think the gen, the objective, a uh, general, what everyone mostly uses these days is Octarius, um, throughout the world. Um, and well, it is the ubiquitous, uh, kill team terrain. Correct. It is. Uh, I would, I would say so. I hate scramble. Um, Moving to, and then there's also Into the Dark. I think I think that those are the two most widely accepted uh, competitive formats uh, of terrain. Right. Um, is there anything else, other than what we use, MDF? Um, like our terrain, my terrain, spoke to the community, and I specifically designed for this version of Kill Team. Heaven forbid they ever release another form of kill team and I have to restart my terrain collection. <laughs> might might actually uh, GW, please no. <laughs> <laughs> might actually be very upset. Um so uh but I also feel like there are events that run other types of terrain that are just uh viable in the store, right? If you're gonna run a tournament, there's not enough Octarius, there's not enough this. Maybe you've bought all of the Chalmuth stuff too, so you run everything. Um, as a I, TO, I've attended those kind of events, and it's very important to let your players know before you show up and you're like, oh, why is Morok here? Why is this here? Why is this here? You want to 
let players know exactly what they're walking into, what they're paying for, and why they're coming to your event. You don't want to surprise somebody to make them upset later. Janice, you're about to say something. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, completely random terrain, you're typically going to see that more at your local your local stores, which I don't think that's a big issue really, or a big, a big thing. So like if it's a 16 player tournament at a local shop, I don't feel that they need to jump out and say, Hey, this is going to be just what we got in the store versus we're using all GW terrain. Yeah. But like a big, like 24 person and up, I feel they should have a little bit of an idea of what's, what the terrain setup is going to be like. Yeah. I think, I think the problem for TOs is that, um, I think that terrain has, a, has a shelf life. Uh, so people either get bored of it or mm-hmm. it goes out of style and GW stops using it. Um, and one of the things with using the same terrain set over and over again is with the same kind of layouts is it becomes, your game becomes very formulaic. Yes. Of, I'm going to move here. I'm going to do this. They're going to move. I'm going to move here. I'm going to do this. Cause that's one issue that I'm running into personally with into the dark is it's it's become very chess like <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. tell us about it it's very very chess like i think that's one reason why me and g created the asymmetrical into the dark layouts is because it added a little bit of space right i'm looking for i'm looking forward to playing playing those because i love the close confines type games but running into so many current into the dark with the games workshop setups. It's like, Oh, okay. I'm playing this map. I know the exact move sets I need to do. Yeah. I I was really hoping that uh, GW was going to come out with more maps or hopefully Mm -hmm. they still do uh, more maps for into the dark, whether they're asymmetrical or not. But I will tell you, it is very difficult to make asymmetrical layouts with this terrain because every single piece is symmetric and yeah. they can only be put together viably and competitively so many ways. Yeah. That's, that's the only downside with the way they built the terrain set is I was actually hoping it would have been more like the old zone mortalis stuff, which was just lock and lock pieces locked together, like Lego bricks kind of. Yeah. I think that the old cities of death terrain uh, that GW produced back in like 2000 and mm-hmm. 2008 through 2012 or 14. Yes, is, it was a uh, 7th and 8th edition. Mm-hmm. Is probably the best plastic terrain out there currently for this game. It's really I, hard to get I a could, hold of. I could see that. Yeah, but it was so modular. You could cut it in any different way. You could put it on MDF bases. Mm-hmm. It was just... Uh, a miraculous modular terrain building tool, right? Um, I'm sad that I sold mine when I got married, but I'd rather be married and paid for my wedding than have that terrain still. Understandable. Um, yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> people get people getting rid of stuff. I know nothing of this. I have a, I have a whole whole room of shame to myself. <laughs> You have three copies of Rogue Trader. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of an aside here when people are talking about their 
because we listen to the podcast. I save the podcasts and listen to them when I'm traveling up to my parents, which is about two and a half hours to uh-huh. drive to. And I'll put on the podcast and we'll listen to, I'll listen to him in the car. I don't care what my kids or, or wife says about it, <laughs> <laughs> but they listen, they comment. So, uh, but, but when they, when you guys, I think the last one we listened to that someone mentioned their pile of shame was Nick and saying about his corner of stuff that was his pile of shame. And I just started laughing and Kathy's like, I know exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> These people with their small piles of shame. Giacomo. I they liquidate have, mine. Yeah. <laughs> they, have, they, they know nothing. <laughs> G has seen mine and it's big enough for the both of us. It's in his whole room. dude. <laughs> it's up well, high. It's hiding. If, I could put I could get Kathy down here to talk about it, and yeah, because she comments because <laughs> we have a finished basement, and one room is like old box sets that still have shrink wrap on them. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, uh, just a I have a original box Predator tank still in in uh, shrink wrap. That's part metal, right? Nope, that's all plastic. plastic. This is the original Predator. The original. Oh, without the last cannon upgrades? It has the auto cannon and two two last cannons. The the turret looks like a Dalek, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the ball thing. I'm looking up. Hold on, I'm going to stand up. Uh, I have original Space Marine Scouts still in... In plastic wrap, and I have corn demons and the old chaos cult still in plastic wrap. Everything else has been at least semi opened, other than that. I have a whole, uh, whole Morty and Iron Guard army still in uh, blister pack. Dang. Oh, nice Dang. blister packs, man. Those are, yeah, crap. They're fucking sick. That I'm, ac- that I'm actually looking at potentially liquidating at some point. Mm. So if anyone's interested in some Morty, Morty and Iron Guard, go ahead and keep, talk me to in, t- keep me in the loop. Keep me in the loop. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You can talk to these guys. They can get in touch, put us in touch. <laughs> Morty and Iron Guard. That's, that's sick. I remember getting old uh, blisters of like swooping hawks for like eight bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But having to get like five sets to in order to get a full a full team. Like, yeah, you get like two purple or something. Just yeah. two. Yeah. I remember those days. And then I remember like the price increase list used to seem so much more massive every time the 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 metal blisters had to go up. And now I just like walk into stores and I oh, see yeah. like stores still have there. like still have like old metal blisters that they're still charging like twenty or twenty eight dollars for, and you're like, oh, can some some of the blister packs I have have the old store price on it and it's like six dollars and fifty cents for, oh, yeah? for two miniatures and it's like amazing yeah it's like wow where have we where we have gone <laughs> yeah, inflation is a real thing and also games workshop profits are a real thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they i am i am happy about how well games workshop is doing and has been doing because there was there's a good amount of time that, you know, they were, they were looking too hot. Seventh edition, man. Yeah, the end of sixth and seventh edition was yeah. a rough time. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I watched a a podcast. I think it was. Uh, yeah. About contrast paint and how contrast paint really kind of helped save them. Oh yeah, that was uh, Peachy's video. 
I think so. I think it was Cause like because Peachy's doing a a video uh, a uh, YouTube series with a bunch of old GW people. Yes, and I think that was the uh, the one that Contrast saved Games Workshop. Yeah, it was a good it was a good episode too. I was and like, oh, this is Contrast wasn't what saved Games Workshop, but it it was it, it was helped. in the works during that time. Yeah. Definitely a revolutionary paint. In fact, I yeah. love contrast. Not everyone does, but I really, really like that that uh, that style of paint. It's not it's con- not an end all be all, but I'm a convert. I love it. <laughs> I like uh, I like a good amount of the range. There's u- useful tools. Yeah, it, that's what it is. It's a it's a useful tool. I haven't gotten rid of any of my my regular base paints or layer paints, but it's a new tool for the toolbox. Speaking exactly. of speaking of which, have you guys seen the newest like uh, viral trend? I think it's called Space Marine Goo or Space Marine Gunk or Wash or something. Space Gunk. What is it no, called? I haven't. Gee, have you seen that traveling no. around the interwebs? No. It so it's one third um, Lamian medium, okay. one third Army Painter dark tone, which I actually really like their dark tone. And yeah, I like I like it too. I think it's one third Reichland fresh flesh shade and people are okay. like, like all jazzed about it on uh, YouTube and TikTok. I, I know a way to make that way better uh, really quickly. Uh, so what's, what's it supposed to do? It's supposed to be like a new kind of like wash. It's like okay. a, it's like a light supposed to be the new Agrax earth shade, quote unquote. Okay. But I don't know why you don't use, just use their brand new stuff. Maybe they did change the chemical composition. So I know some people were like, hey, do you have an original pot? I want to buy an original pot. Oh, I see. It's, it stains a little bit more. Like the new stuff they use contrast medium in. So yeah. it sinks into the cracks a little bit more. Um, I know a way to make it way better. You just don't use Lamian medium and you use the contrast medium instead. Contrast medium, in my opinion, is the best medium available. Oh, hands out down. There. Hands, hands down. Yeah. 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 That's very easily accessible to hobbyists. I would agree. Yeah. I still uh, use it. I've tried like so many different things. And uh, to me, it's still the best. But uh, you guys have any other hobby tips to give to these people before we round out? Hmm. Yes. Um, if you're going to glaze, have a paper towel with you. Because oh, yeah? you're more, you more than likely have too much water on your paintbrush, mm. and it's it's just you just need to tap it lightly to get some of that water off. It will go on your paper towel, and then you can glaze a little mm. bit easier. It's a good one, G. I like it's a good that. one. Uh, uh, something for me. This is more of a safety tip than than anything. Since we are going into the winter months, be sure you're when you're doing rattle can priming, be sure you're in a ventilated area and not near any sources of flame, those that burn coal <laughs> or wood. <laughs> um, I have another one. I really like using Micron pens for script and for like the, the very dot of an iris, like the, like the, the smallest in inner part. Like if you do like a blue, a blue, like eyeball. Um, are, the, are those the, uh, the things that people use for Gundams for li- for panel tracing? Yes and no. These these are like really, really, really fine, fine-tipped pens. 
I think I think that this does come from the Gundam stuff. I think that they use you, these. Yeah, a little you more. you can buy some, but then I, I used to buy Microns from uh, Blix when I yeah. used to use them for the eyeballs. But I, since I've been working on my control of a brush, I want to see if I have an image of one where I use the Micron pen. God, that must have been like three years ago. While while he's looking that up, just a little aside for my safety my safety tip, uh, we had a tiki torch outside. And I was priming things, and there was there was a bit of fire. I'll just say that. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! I got I got a little too close with the rattle can. <laughs> wow, Janice, that is the OG <laughs> predator. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, they, yeah. And the horse heresy one has the ball now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This is before mine. But when I got into the hobby, they had blue boxes, which yeah, was this in is, third this edition. Is, this is the old red box. It's not the. It's. I guess it's not the original original box, which was like fucking close enough. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the that's the second edition box for it, and I have one still in shrink wrap. Amazing. That's pretty nuts to have a yeah. something like that in the collection. Yeah, and I I had two of them. Uh, <laughs> this this will tell you how things have gone up. I bought two of them for twenty dollars. Two of them for twenty bucks, man! What a time. Yeah, that was that was 95 i want to say 94 maybe that's back when uh, gas used to be a dollar though so yeah that is <laughs> that is <laughs> we've come we've come a long way much like we've come a long way on this episode on the squad games podcast didn't think i was going to say the intro but i did it anyway <laughs> dun, dun, dun. we've been all over the place in this episode yeah. all over the place but mainly about tournaments Absolutely. Is there any kind of shout outs you want to do, Janice? Uh, none in particular. I mean, I've shouted out Baron of Dice and Pop Goes the Monkey. Uh, they get a significant amount of my money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I'll give Lester's Workshop a shout out so Dakota doesn't have to. Thank you. Please, please use the affiliate link. <laughs> it's, in our, it's in our show notes. It is. <laughs> uh, G, anything you want to shout out? Yep, I'm going to do my thing right now. Uh, well, you know, we, since we're talking about affiliates here, we want to thank a couple of our affiliates. First off, we want to go with FLG. You know, if you're in the market for new box sets, secondhand models, or attending one of their events, consider using our link in the description. We get a little bit of a kickback. That kickback helps us run more events, make more episodes, and keep doing things for the community of Kill Team and hopefully more in the future. And the next one I want to shout out is Goblin Huts. So if you're looking to step up your hobby game or just use one of their cool hobby tools, brushes, things that they have on their website, consider using code SQUAD10 at checkout. That's S-Q-U-A-D-1-0, SQUAD10 at checkout, which again, gives us a little bit of kickback, helps us out. And lastly, I want to thank our patrons. They help us out in a more personal way. And uh, regardless of whether you're a patron or you're just listening to this episode or coming to our things, we really appreciate it. And of course, if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Wargaming Studios, Wargaming underscore Studios. And I'm also on our Discord, our Squad Games Discord, which the link is in the description. And you can go ahead and tell us something we might have missed in this episode or maybe something you really liked about it. How about you, Dakota? What do you got? So I, don't, I want to shout out our, our next two, uh, our two most closest tournaments. We're going to be running the West Coast Championship here in, uh, in California. We had to change uh, venues recently because... The biggest game store, the best game store that we uh, ran tournaments at recently has closed, and it's a very sad day for Southern California. And a lot of these 
players are going to be looking for a new home. So as long <laughs> as we, uh, as long as we, you know, continue that, I think that should be good. Shout out to, uh, to games at my place and the owners for making it such a welcoming place for us. And, uh, look forward to hopefully working with you sometime in the future. Also want to shout out, uh, Las Vegas open. That's going to be the next tournament after, um, after our West coast championship, that's going to be taking place January 18th, uh, through the 21st. Uh, if you can come, we would love to see you there. Love to shake your guys' hands, give high fives, hugs, if you like them. Um, and you know, experience hopefully the biggest tournament that kill team has ever seen. So, uh, looking forward to that one and looking forward to seeing everyone who I haven't got to see in the past few months since I've been to the East coast. So, uh, outside of that, that's all I got. Do we have a Patreon question? Uh, we do have a Patreon question. Oh, awesome. All right. I'll post it here. So cactus cat, uh, Alexander Popov has asked cat. us, mm-hmm. has asked us a question for warp, uh, warp coven and how do we fix them? Um, Ooh. yeah. So his, his idea was what if everybody's favorite, enjoy your one inch dash spell, right? Becomes a strategic <laughs> ploy, something like a uh, zero plus CP cost. Since it's used pretty much every single round, uh, the team becomes extremely formulaic. Uh, as as a as a team itself, because you have a certain round of activations, and it doesn't f- help the team at all that you're running the exact same activation first, right? Every single round, right? Um, to you know, to to do that kind of stuff, it seems very counterproductive. And that was his suggestion: is that uh, Warp Coven gets a you know it costs zero CP. Then one CP, then two CP, then three CP, um, so on and so forth. Um, I actually so, kind of like that. Right? Seems very, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. That makes it, that, it free, also, that frees up a sorcerer to be able to do other things than just because that's going to be one of your first or second activations, of course. So it also frees up your 4EP scroll that you use every game. Yeah. Right? In case you need that sorcerer to do something else, then a different sorcerer can cast slow. Yeah, that would like that. that would definitely be helpful. Yeah, um, it seems like it would be a really that's a really good change, Alex, and I really like it. Yeah, I would. I uh, that's yeah, uh, echoing Dakota. I really like that change. That would be that would be something beneficial for the team and help them a lot. I believe. Is now, there? Go yeah, ahead, I, I, I want to point this out for you guys. That is one one change, but. Does that inherently change the way the team composition is changed? Because it sounds like nowadays you just sort of want to run Zangors since they can take either of the archetypes. How do you fix it so you want to take Rubric Marines? Rubric Marines just suck. Exactly. So how do you make? <laughs> how do you fix it so you want to take them? How do you, uh, how, do you fi- how do you fix it? You create an actual Thousand Suns team. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. You create a whole new team. Make you, it at make this it point. Better. At this point, uh, that's my my feelings. Is you would have to create an entire new team from the ground up. Yeah, but based, you have to get- based around just uh, based just around uh, th- the thousand suns. 
if that a, were to happen, do you think Warp Coven would be gone? I think it would over it would overwrite Warp Coven, to be honest. I still really like the idea of you can take different sorcerers that do different things. One sorcerer, you would take one sorcerer, and that sorcerer can take like two um, or a rubric marine. Or you can take like a shaman and you can mm-hmm. take like three of these and then you could take like one of those warp change guys and you get like three demons, three like pink horrors or some shit. I that would be, that. That would be, cool. be a fun one. Yeah. And I think it would be a relatively easy thing to add into the data sheet. Uh, you would just need what? Three new operatives, um, a pink horror, a shaman and like the, the other kind of sorcerer. But mm-hmm. In the end, I still think it would require a full rework. Also, if we're talking about how to fix the current team, because uh, that was his question. Right. I would say, take away all this stupid BS with, if this guy's within three inches of a source or actually six inches now, oh, wait, you know, like if they're just on the table. No, just give the rubrics three APL. Yep. Can we, can we please just give them three APL? It would make a, it'd make them it'd make them worth like at least using, you know. Also, give the entire team uh, the infiltration thing and let them take recon and security. So no matter what what operatives they bring, give them all three. They yeah. already have they already have like infiltrate type things with some of their their faction tack ops, and you can really dive deep into like some kind of infiltrate changey thing, right? Um with the team. I think that I really like their bolters. Their bolters are really good. They just, yeah, yeah. bolters are cool. Yeah. They're AP one bolters and they're like, they're really, they're actually really decent. But the problem is, is like, you can't really fire twice. There's no way that you'd want to fire twice, you know? Okay. Uh, my, my take on how to make the team better based on, based on current rules that have been, been released. Uh, Bump Zangor up to the same stat profile as Felgor. So okay. give them give them the extra wounds. And uh, I don't remember the name of the attack op or whatever it is that gives the five plus invulnerability uh, to to warp coven. Make it the same as the legionary where it's four up. Yeah, I can see that. Because why is why is the legionary able to do it to have a four up where Zench is chosen only have a five up? <laughs> because um, the narrative. Because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, actually, legionary are better. Uh, there's no there's no good good answer to that. <laughs> but no, that's that's kind of if I had the power to wave the wand and make the changes. Those are those are two that I would definitely do to make things better for for the mm-hmm. team. Yeah, I think that being able to like make the team be able to change or do more things is very interesting. Um, rather than just like because when you look at the team and how they function, they function the same way every single round. They really yeah. do. Like it's, it's weird that like. It took Alex's question for us to really, or for me to actually think that, but like a team of change doesn't want to change. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great question, Alex. I appreciate yeah, you. Brother. Good, good question. Oh, I did have, 
What was last week's question? There was I did have it was a about different kind dice. of dice. Yes. Was Rob? Rob asked if we could use, um, like if we if if there was another type of dice to be added to Kill Team, what would it be and why? Oh right, right. That's what it was. And I know Dakota and I spoke about this, uh, kind of off to the side in a in a in a phone call. But I I just want to say, having been a veteran of this game for forty close to forty years, uh, Games Workshop started as a D six company. They're going to die a D six company. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. So yeah. <laughs> Man, they should start doing Shadowrun, right? I know, like right? Buckets of D6. <laughs> <laughs> Shadowrun and work shooting. You use the same amount of dice. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, we're coming to a close, guys. Okay. I had a lot of fun. and I Yeah, it was a good time. I, yeah. I enjoyed our chat uh, as controversial as it was at some points. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you can tell us how wrong we were in our Discord. Just rate us five stars on um, on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts because it helps us be seen. Please, yeah. Even if you didn't, even if you didn't like our takes, that'd yeah, be nice. You can give us a one star; it's fine. <laughs> you give us a one star too. Give a, give a five star, but then you can type in how much you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs>